<laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Now, I know that uh, Mark kicked, hit the go button on Christmas two weeks ago. I'm telling you today, it's legal. We can now officially celebrate Christmas. I have 2,000 years of church history on my side in saying this because today is the first Sunday of Advent. Does anyone follow the Advent tradition? Okay, let me... Oh, I wasn't actually thinking about chocolate, but yes, you may... Yesterday, you could have opened your chocolate window. I didn't even think about that. I'm... I'm uh, I'm feeling a bit holy right now because I was actually <laughs> not thinking about chocolate. So in the, in the tradition of the church, uh, there are four Sundays leading up to Christmas and today is the first Sunday. And on every Sunday you can light a candle uh, and they each have a different meaning that help us to prepare for Christmas. And it's all about making room in our hearts for Jesus. So today is the first Sunday and, and my house, we don't like candles. I've actually got these really cool uh, candles I got from Ikea years ago. They're angels and you light them up. They're beautiful. I've got five of those. So today, um, later today, I'm going to light the first angel, turn it on. It will stay on every day and then next Sunday we'll light number two. And by Christmas Day, you end up with these five beautiful angels. So the first week, uh, we'll be reflecting on hope. Jesus is our hope. He's not a wish. He's not a wish for a better life, a better life. He is our hope. And he is our sure and certain hope. Because there is something within us. We experience Jesus now. We know Jesus now. But there is a longing in us, isn't there? That we long to see the face of Jesus. We long for that day that we've sung about this morning when we will be with Jesus face to face, actually in his presence. How wonderful that is going to be. And this is part of this great news that we have to share with the whole world. That Jesus is our sure and certain hope. The other thing that we're going to do today in our family, because it is legally Christmas now, is we're going to put our lights up today. Because we've been away this weekend, so we've just got home earlier this morning from dwelling up. But we've been breeding reindeer at our house for the last few years. So, you know, uh, you can go to Red Dot and you can buy those light up reindeers. You know, the ones that move their heads and do this. Yeah, we've been, we started off with two in our front garden and um, this year we're going to have nine. So we're going to have the, the right number of reindeer this year. And a couple of years ago we thought, oh, we're going to, because we've sort of been building up, because they're a bit pricey, you know, so we've been breeding them year by year, saving up. So I bought the last two uh, last week. Uh, yeah, so at one point we thought, oh, because Neil's getting sick of um, buying more cables and things from Bunnings every Christmas to put all these reindeer up in our front yard. And we were going to not, not do it anymore, but we were out walking our dog one day and we met all the other dog people in the park near our house. And we found out that actually there's a whole pile of families and they bring their kids and their grandkids to come and see the reindeer at our house. So we went, oh, that's so nice, isn't it? So we're going to be doing that today. So it's, uh, Christmas is all about being uh, merry and bright. And so I've been thinking about this message that Mark has been helping us to think through over the last couple of weeks about being merry and bright. And the truth is, it's actually quite easy to be merry and bright on the outside, isn't it? You know, we can go to parties, we can put lights up, we can do Christmas stuff, we can eat lots of Christmas food, all that kind of thing. We can go shopping, you can go shopping, and actually you get that merry and bright feeling, don't you? But I'm wondering about how you're doing on the inside. Are you feeling merry and bright on the inside, or is this just going to be a bit of faking it till you make it on Christmas Day? <laughs> So today I want to share a message with you that's really, um, it's actually been a message that I've been living with all year. And I hope that it's something that's going to help you um, today to not just fake the merry and bright thing, but to actually feel and know and experience 
Jesus, Mary and Bright, no matter what's going on in life, that we can actually live with this sense of it's okay. And that's a kind of good Mary and Bright, isn't it, on the inside, that then shines out on the outside. And, and hopefully what I'm going to share with you today is also something that then you can share with others, a real gift for others. So to do that, we're going to drop in on a conversation that happened 3,000 years ago. It comes from uh, the book of Numbers, which is in the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's probably a book, has anyone read Numbers lately? It's not, oh, Neil, had, oh, there's a few of you. I'm impressed. It's not a book in the Bible that many people read. But we're going to drop in on Numbers chapter 10, and it's a conversation happening with two men. And I imagine that this conversation takes place on a bit of a hillside. So let's, let's read uh, Numbers chapter 10. Oh, it's on your app, by the way. I always get that. Sorry, Mark's going to tell me off. Okay, so we have an app. It's called an Elevate app. You can press on the app and the Bible reading will come up and it's all good, okay? (laughs) Done the message. (laughs) Now we will go to Numbers chapter 10. Here we go. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. It's a very long-winded way of saying Moses, who you may have heard about, especially if you've watched the movie Prince of Egypt or grown up in church, you'll know about Moses. Well, this is Moses' brother-in-law. So just imagine Moses and his brother-in-law, who's not, so the brother-in-law comes from, he's not part of the children of Israel, he comes from Midianite, and he came to visit. So this conversation, I'll do the backstory. let's read this first. Uh, Moses' brother-in-law. We got that? Good. Okay. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, so this is the brother-in-law, says back to Moses, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And then Moses says, please do not leave us for you know where we should camp in the wilderness and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. This is a really interesting conversation. I read this passage back in March and I kind of had a what the is going on in here moment. (laughs) Did you notice something really strange? Those of you who might know a bit about the story of the children of Israel... They were held as captives in, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they went in as free people, but over time they became slaves. And, and towards the end, there was this greater and greater yearning, God, would you save us? God, would you rescue us? Life in Egypt was terrible. They were economic slaves. They were, cult, they were slaves to the culture of Egypt Everything in their life was shaped by Egypt and they had lost their identity as the children of Israel, really. They were slaves. And then God came and he decided it was now time to rescue them and so he called Moses. And Moses, um, you remember the story of the ten plagues and all terrible things happened and finally the Egyptians let the people go free. And so now when this conversation takes place, the children of Israel have been living in the wilderness for two years. So they've come out and they're living in the wilderness So now they're physically free. But during these two years, God has been teaching them how to actually be free. So you can be physically free, but you can still be living in slavery, can't you? Slavery of your imagination, slavery of your heart. There's all kinds of slavery that we experience. And so God has been teaching them how to be a free people. He's been teaching them what it means to worship him as the one true God. 
Because all I knew was the worship that was in Egypt, which was about the pharaohs and the pyramids and the gold and all that kind of thing. And God's going, no, I'm real. And I'm present. You've seen me. I've done miracles. I am the almighty God. And so he's been teaching them that. He's been teaching them that they can do different things. So he taught them how to, you know, and gave them gifts. And so they made a temple that they could worship God in. And they, they found out they had skills and things that they didn't know they had. Because in Egypt, people told them what to do. And God is setting them free and saying, you're a creative people. There are lots of things that you can do. And one of those things was to build this amazing tabernacle. And, there, and when the tabernacle was finished, the place where you could worship God, do you know what happened? The presence of God came and in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. And that's what makes this really conversation really interesting. Because God said to Moses and to the people, <laughs> when they came out to be formed into a, into a people, they also put into 12 family groups. And so two years later, they, they weren't just going to stay in the wilderness, they were on their way to the promised land. A bit like we are now, we're longing for that time when Jesus comes back and we will live with him perfectly. They were on their way to somewhere that was going to be way better than Egypt, the promised land that God... And, that, and when they got to the promised land, this was going to be really good. This was the place for them, where they would no longer be slaves, they would truly be free people. So for two years, they've been getting ready to start out. When we drop in on this conversation, the cloud of God's presence has lifted. And God said, when my presence lifts, you move. When it falls, you stop. And I'm going to lead you to the promised land. So if the presence of God is there, like, okay, we're here, and then it lifts and it's time to move, and then God is going to go, okay, we're going to go to here and now the presence of God is going to drop down so now we, we make camp again on our way to the promised land. So if God's right in front of their face telling them what to do and where to go, why do you need your brother-in-law to be your eyes and to tell you the good places to camp? Does that not strike you as incredibly interesting? <laughs> I'd never seen that before. I went, wow, what is going on in this conversation? How often have you ever thought, I wish God would just appear and right in front of my face and tell me what to do? <laughs> have you ever had that feeling? Here is Moses and the people and they've got the presence of God right in front of their face in the form of a cloud and fire. And yet Moses turns to his brother-in-law and says, come with us. And the good that God does to us, we will do to you. But come with us and you can be our eyes and you know the good places to camp. Here's what I think is going on here. I do think that uh, Hobab had some local knowledge that was going to be very useful. Because even though the people would have gone in the general direction where God said, Hobab actually had skills about how to live in the desert that, that the Israelites didn't have because they'd been living in Egypt. So there's a very practical reason why Hobab would have been very useful to them. But can I suggest to you there's a much better reason why Moses extended that invitation to Hobab? Because Hobab wasn't a part of the children of Israel, but God's welcome is for everybody. Right back in the Old Testament, we see echoes of God's heart, which is always to welcome people into the family of God and to welcome people into the hope that we have in Jesus and the hope that we have that one day when he comes back, all will be made right with the world and with people. That's an extraordinary invitation, isn't it?
It's interesting that Hobab initially says, no, I'm not going with you lot. You know, the children of Israel were a pretty difficult lot to live with. You just read some of the stuff that was going on. It's so easy to default to what we know, isn't it? No, I'm going to go back here because I know my own family. I know my own land. I know my own territory. I know my own culture. It's always easy to default. See, Hobab was a free man. He wasn't He wasn't a slave in Egypt. He came and and came to visit with the children of Israel once they got out of Egypt. But he wasn't a slave. But can I suggest to you he was a slave to his own culture and background? Because his initial default was, no, I'm going to go back to what I know. Even though he knew about where the Israelites were going to the promised land. It's interesting to think about that when we start approaching people with the message of Jesus. How often we are scared to invite people to come with us. Come with us and we will do you good. And people go, no, I'm going to go back to what I know. Just thinking about that helps us to understand, doesn't it? To have a sense of compassion. It's okay. Just understand that it's a natural default to go back to slavery. I've been asking this question, a question, for over 15 years. I've been asking this question, what does the gospel, what is the good news sound like for Australian people? What does the good news sound like for Australian people? Because I'm a, bit, I'm a church leader and I look across the church and I look across our country and I go, hmm, whatever it is that we're preaching, I'm not quite sure that Australian people are hearing it well. I'm not sure we're really able to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus in a way that's really engaging Australian people and I think that's a problem. So I've been asking God, what does the good news sound like for Australian people? How do we hear it as good news? Because the cultural default is so strong to stick with what we know. So some of you know I've been doing some research. Uh, Let me go back to this, come with us and and, and, uh, the good that God does to us, we will do to you. When I came across this passage earlier in the year, I thought that's such an interesting invitation, isn't it? Come with us. And we will do you good. I thought, I wonder if we put a sign out the front of the church that says, come with us and we will do you good. Do you think people would believe it? I don't think so. I think in Australia the church is going through a really tough time. With a debate on same-sex marriage and the Royal Commission and all the other stuff going on, do people trust the church? I think we've got some work to do. <laughs> That's what makes this, this really important for us to think about. Come with us and we will do you good. Because we ought to be able to say that, right? We are the people who should be able to say, come with us and we will do you good. So we need to get, we need to, get to the bottom of this problem. The second thing I want to say about that invitation, come with us and we will do you good, especially for those of us who've been in church a long time, would we believe it for ourselves? How many of us have been hurt, upset, broken, disappointed, angry at church? (laughs) It's time that we deal with the stuff, the resentment, the hurt and all that rest of it. How can we invite someone, other people into the good that God does to us? Unless we're honest and go, you know what, we mess up, we hurt each other. But we are the people of God. We have this amazing good news 
we have this responsibility to be the good people. <laughs> so what I want to share with you today, I hope will help us to all to recognise we might be followers of Jesus, but often we too are living in slavery to our culture. And I'm going to talk about some things today that have really helped me to live more and more as a free person and to recognise that I default to things in Australian culture that I don't think are, are helpful to us. So do you want to hear about what they are? Yes. Okay. So on a scale of 1 to 100, what do you think we rate as Australian people? And this actually doesn't matter what cultural nationality you come from. This is generally true of Australia. Scale of 1 to 100 on a scale of individualism. What do you think we rate? Uh, 89. Cherith Masters, you're one off. Well done. 90 out of 100. Does that sound about right? Individualism in Australia, we rate about 90 out of 100. You can Google these scores, by the way. Um, now, let me turn that into a discipleship question. If in, Australia cult, if in Australia we've been formed by a culture that is highly individualistic, is it possible that even as followers of Jesus, we approach Jesus on an individualistic basis? It's all about me. Well, it is all about you, and it is all about me. But that's not the whole news, is it? It's all about me, but it's all about us. And, and we even come to the Word of God. How often do you read the Word of God and think, this is about me? Well, it is about you, but it is about us. We are a community of people. And you hear a lot of talk in church about community. I'm not sure we really understand what community means. So elevate church. One of my prayers is, and I think God is actually leading us there anyway, whether we know it or realise it or not, we need to start thinking about what does it really mean to be community? What is it going to cost me as an individual to actually set aside my individual default in order to give to others? Is that not what Jesus did? He poured his life into us so that we might pour our lives into others. We're not isolated people. But that default to individualism is so strong. Let me give you another score that I find incredibly interesting. On a scale of 1 to 100, what do you think we rate on indulgence? It's not quite as bad. It's 75. But you put individualism and you put indulgence together in our culture... It's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle, isn't it? Not only is it about me, but it's about what I want and what I like and what I think I need. It's about my comfort and my security. You might have heard me talk about the small gods of comfort and security. I have a truckload of them. And I feel them and I go, you know, uh, there's a really funny thing that I've realised I do. When I'm really upset or stressed, I go shopping for clothes. Do you know why I do that? Because I'm feeling insecure and clothes make me feel safe. Do you see how much knowledge like this really helps us as followers of Jesus? If you don't know it, you can't see it, then we're powerless. And I think Jesus is saying to us, wake up, church. Wake up, church, because we need to be the people who have this invitation. Come with us. And the good that God does to us, the same we will do to you. See, this is about freedom. This is not about guilt or condemnation this morning. Are you feeling freer already? <laughs> See, this kind of information is setting me free because I'm going, oh, I don't, I don't have to do that. 
actually, this is who God, and I feel freer. The um, other score I want to share with you is on, sh- on, on orientation, whether we're short-term or long-term. Do you think Australians are short-term or long-term in their thinking? Short-term, yeah. So individualism, it's all about me, it's all about my comfort, and it's all about n- right now. <laughs> Do you know, I think this is another thing for us to think about as a church, is that helping one another to be followers of Jesus takes time. And if we're only thinking about now, it's so easy just to write across people or to discount an opportunity or to not pay attention because we're thinking about the now. But making disciples of one another, helping one another, is a long-term commitment. Following Jesus is for the long-term, not just for the short-term. See, otherwise Jesus is just a life coach. Jesus is not our life coach. Jesus helps us how to... He teaches us how to live. But he's in this for the long haul. And it's about helping us to be a free people, not a people who are slaves. Come with us. And the good that God does to us, the same we will do to you. It's it's the life of Jesus, the free life of Jesus poured into us that we share with others. So let me come back to this. Oh, sorry, last last call because this is incredible. Am I going for time? Yeah, we're good. Um, trust in Australia. You'll know trust in Australia is at an all-time low. We should not assume that we trust each other in church even because, again, we're being formed and it's being reinforced. We're in a low-trust culture. What would it mean for us to take risks to trust one another? What does trust look like in the church? This is such a fun project we have ahead of us. To be the people who can be trusted, and boy, the church has got a lot of work to do to be the people who can be trusted. And it all is about relationship, isn't it? Trust is about exchange. Here's the other thing about trust that I've noticed. If I'm a person who's growing up and being formed by a low trust culture, I have to be honest and look at God and say, God, do I really trust you? Because it's quite possible that if I'm a person in a low trust culture, actually my default is to say I trust God, but not really. Because I like to control my life. (laughs) Do you like to control your life? And so God is showing us, no, well, you say you trust me, but let's let's just take this to a deeper level. (laughs) I once described trust as being like a deep, dark well. You know, you just, have you ever seen people go that, like, cave diving where they just drop out of the sky into a deep, dark cave? (laughs) I think trusting God is like that. You know you're going to be all right, but you you can't see a thing (laughs) until God shows you. And it goes deeper and deeper. And this is the whole of life on planet Earth. We get to live this until Jesus comes back because he's making us more like him. More and more freedom. We see when, when people hear about this, they go, oh, like, why would I trust Jesus? Why do I want to follow Jesus? He doesn't do good. He just makes life tougher. And I'm going, no, you don't understand. He's all about setting us free. Don't you want to be more and more free? This is the good that God does to us. So let me go back to my question. What does the gospel sound like for Australian people? And some of you have heard me talk about this earlier this year, but you need to hear it again because I need to hear it every day. And it came, the revelation of what that looks like came to me earlier in the year when, uh, sorry, late last year. And I was thinking about the story of Mary and Martha. Do you remember me talking about this, those of you around earlier in the year? And there was this revelation moment where I realised that of Mary and Martha, Martha is two women. One was her heart. She was always worried and anxious about many things. 
and yet she was in the presence of Jesus. Whereas Mary was also in the presence of Jesus and what was going on in her heart? She was at peace. You see, Australia, the good life in Australia, when you put the good life of Australia, the things that we get in our culture, and we live in a, we have a very good life. Even when we're struggling, we have a really good life in this country. But you put the picture of the good life in Australia next to the good news of Jesus. It looks a bit like this, doesn't it? For most of our friends and family. Come with us and the good that God does to us, we will do you. you people look at us and go, church, uh, the great Australian dream. What are you going to go for? The great Australian dream. Can I suggest to you that Australian people are worried and anxious about many things? Because if you have the good life in Australia, you've got a lot to look after, right? You could lose it. <laughs> uh, there's lots of good stuff to get. Oh, we've just been down at a caravan park this weekend and it's just like so much fun seeing like everyone's got caravan envy, caravan, you know, bits. And, and Jesus says, no, peace. See, Australian culture offers us peace through things like, because Jesus says to his disciples in John 10, I, um, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. We need to understand when we bring the message of Jesus, what we're up against. We're up against a message of peace that is not Jesus. See, the world, see Australia offers us peace. It, it offers us, uh, you know, we, we're not living in a war zone. And, and thank God we're not living in a war zone, right? But our culture offers us peace because you can be peaceful if you have, you're popular, right? If you're popular, you must be a person who's at peace because you've got lots of friends. And you can already feel like, no, it's not true, but actually we do believe it, right? A lot of people are driven by popularity because it feels like it's peace, but it's not peace. Because the more popular are, the more you've got to work hard on Facebook and Instagram, whatever, to keep your <laughs> likes up. I hit an all-time high about, I don't know, two weeks ago, 105. I'm going, whoa, I've never had that many likes on Facebook before. But that's not peace. Popularity is not peace. The other lie that, that our culture gives us about peace is pleasure. You know, going out for dinner. We went out for dinner the other night. Someone gave us a gift voucher, so we went to a, a high-end restaurant and I'm going, all this money, where do people get the money from to go out for dinner like this a lot? You know, it's, this, it's this promise that if you, can live a, if you can get enough money, then you can have a life of pleasure, which then looks like the good life. But it doesn't, because you've got to get more and more money to sustain that kind of lifestyle to go out to restaurants all the time. Now, I'm not condemning people who have money. You're not hearing me say that, are you? No. I'm just going, it doesn't give us peace. Of itself, it doesn't give us peace. Prosperity, pleasure, popularity, distraction. How many of us default to distraction when we're feeling stressed? Netflix, you know, whatever. We go to distraction because we're not at peace. We are the people of God. We need to get this sorted out. Jesus gives us peace. When we are in the presence of Jesus, and we are in the presence of Jesus, he promises us that when we, cho when we choose to follow him, when we say yes to Jesus, he, his Holy Spirit comes and is with us, and he, Jesus is perfectly with us. So why are we worried and anxious about many things? Is this making sense? This is the good news. 
You see, I can't give my friends and family the things that they're looking for. Come with us. Come with me and I will do, and the good that God does to me, I will do to you. I can't promise them a happy life. I can't promise them that things are going to get better. But I can promise them that they will experience the peace of Christ. I've been doing this experiment all year. I've been just simply trying to practice what I preach. Because I have been a person who's got a worried and anxious heart about many things. Often by good motives, by the way. Because <laughs> I want everyone to be... I want everyone to do well. That's part of my wiring as a person. It's how God has made me to be. That's, I love to help people to do well. But I get worried and anxious about that. <laughs> and instead I've been going, okay, what does it really mean for me to believe the message that I'm preaching, to actually let Jesus show me what his peace looks like, even when life feels like it's falling apart? Can I tell you that, that more and more, as I've been walking as a person of peace through every day, I've been noticing that people are coming closer to me and are asking me to tell them about the good life that I'm living. Peace is attractive. It occurred to me that when Jesus is announced to the world, he's called the Prince of Peace. Back thousands you know, before, he was, before he came in Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. What do the angels say when Jesus is, the night that Jesus is born? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. I've got a psychologist friend who said to me, do you know what? I think you're onto something. Because unless you're at peace, I'm not sure you can hear a message that Jesus loves you. Because if we don't feel at peace, we're a bit closed off and the walls go up and the threat levels are there. But when, we, when people encounter us as persons of peace, it's like the door opens and we have an opportunity to talk about and share about the hope that we have in Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've been doing this experiment. It's been really interesting. We were at lunch a couple of months ago in a, in a winery, long table lunch thing. And I just sit down and I'm an introvert, so I don't talk to people, right? <laughs> and I don't like these things. These two people, came, this woman came and sat next to me and she just like opened up. We we're having this amazing conversation. She wanted to know what I did and I told her and she goes, oh, that's so interesting. She then yells at the top of her voice, hey, Rob, you need to come and meet Tanya because she works with churches and they need help and I think we could help the churches. These are not even Christian people. <laughs> and we had the most amazing conversation and then Neil joined in later and, and we got to talk to them about Jesus and faith. I didn't have to go looking for them. But the doorway opened because they felt, and I believe, experienced the presence of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Yeah. And so I want to encourage you to, I want to encourage you to ask Jesus for a revelation of His peace this Christmas, and not just for Christmas, <laughs> but that we would be a church of people who know the peace of Christ. And the peace that Jesus pours into us, this is the peace we bring to our family. Imagine bringing peace to your family this Christmas. Peace to your friends. Peace to your neighbours. Peace to the people who drive through McDonald's and get coffee. <laughs> yeah, this is an awesome, awesome privilege that we have. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of the year where... Things are merry and bright and Lord, we can easily go to all the distraction and the food and the fun and the lights and do stuff that makes us feel good. But Lord, underneath, 
We are worried and anxious about many things and we're, we know you and we love you, but we're not really resting in your peace. And Lord Jesus, we want to be the people who say to our family and friends and neighbours, come with us and the good that you do to us, we will do to you. So Lord Jesus, would you today, right now, give us a revelation, a fresh revelation of your perfect peace. Peace that we don't have to think about or stress about, but you come and you bring your peace to us in a fresh way. And then, Lord, help us to walk in your peace through these days of Christmas and into 2019. And, Lord, as we walk in your peace, help us to, to just convey this message, come with us and the good that Jesus has done for me. This I want to bring with you and share with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Amen.